I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Obviously, there's still a doctor involved and you need that doctor in every part of the process. But now it's not just like I ran that lab because the doctor said so. It's, hey, I've got this concern about my, you know, I might have COVID. I'm going to run this test. And that all of that has been kind of pushed out back to where the consumer has much more control of the process. To thrive in a rapidly evolving landscape, brands must move at an ever-increasing pace. I'm Matt Britton, founder and CEO of Suzy. Join me and key industry leaders as we dive deep into the shifting consumer trends within their industry, why it matters now, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Speed of Culture. Up today, we're going to be speaking with John Sheldon, Chief Marketing Officer at Smile Direct Club. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you've had a long storied history in the marketing space over 25 years, starting off on the agency side, brands like Ogilvy and BBH and moving on to places like eBay, MasterCard, and of course, where you are today at Smile Direct Club as CMO. Tell us about, first and foremost, I'm always interested in this, your challenges of going from the agency side of things to the brand side. Yeah, I mean, the good news is I had an opportunity that was a little bit of a way station in between in my the work that I did at eBay. I actually worked in an area of eBay called uh, eBay Enterprise Marketing, and we did we ran the performance marketing for about 120 uh, e-commerce retailers. Uh, this is before retailers all realized they needed to own this themselves, and so they had been outsourcing it. And uh, one of my clients actually was eBay itself, so it was my parent company, and so. I always felt a part of that marketing team. I was kind of an inside-outside person as part of that process. And so it kind of served as a bit of a, a way station for me on my way to being an in-house, you know, client-side person. Was that the original GSI Commerce business that eBay acquired? It was. I, I was with GSI Commerce for about 11 days before, oh, wow. before eBay bought them. They, they didn't buy, obviously, because of me. But it was a, uh, a really fun transition to be a part of that. And and that, yeah, GSI Commerce is doing really interesting things for, for e-retailers who, who at that time wanted to outsource that work. 
Yeah, I'm from Philadelphia, and that was one of the original Philadelphia tech companies, and a lot of my friends, actually of a high school a classmate of mine, Michael Rubin, started GSI Commerce. And yeah, Michael's done quite well for himself. Oh, that's for sure. A lot of folks I've known throughout the years have worked there, and then obviously became eBay, and huge success story. So really interesting. So now you're you know CMO at Smell Direct Club, and obviously... We're in a very interesting time, and we'll talk about the macro. But yep. why did you join Smile Direct Club? And did you know anything about sort of the dental industry when you joined? Like, what was the kind of drivers of that decision? Yeah, it's funny trying to explain to my friends why I was joining a dental company uh, because I've said no background in that whatsoever. For me, what drew me to Smile Direct Club was really three things. Number one, you know, getting to participate in the consumerization of healthcare, which is that amazing macro trend that's been going on. Two, it really brought together a lot of the different skill sets you know, that I've been building up, right? I kind of started on the quantitative side of CRM and then, you know, ultimately started just adding and broadening my skill sets with branding and, and digital transformation, et cetera. And then third is really the purposefulness of the company. I'm really attracted to the impact that we can have on, on people's lives, right? I think I would have a hard time selling something I didn't feel awesome about. And the fact that, you know, Smile, Smile Direct Club, we're, we're part of a customer's, you know, broad-based transformation in their lives. We're just one part of that. And so being able to be alongside of them as they're losing weight, taking control of their life, handling their divorce, going to college, whatever that thing is, we can be a really visible part of what that transformation they're going through looks like. And, and that purposefulness, I kind of, I projected that onto the business when I said yes to join it, but I've seen it come through in spades and I feel really great about, about that part. So when you talk about the consumerization of healthcare, Obviously, the healthcare space still is so dated, has taken so long for it to digitize and, and disrupt itself when compared to, against almost every other industry. What do you mean by the consumerization of healthcare and what role does Smile Direct play in that overall transformation? The direct-to-consumer world is infiltrating healthcare, you know, all over the place, right? Whether you think about businesses like Q Health with their at-home testing, you know, work or, you know, some of the deals. Teledoc. Right. Obviously, all of the telemedicine efforts that have gone on in the last, you know, 10, 12 years. But but then you start taking pieces like, like Smile Direct Club where you're taking a 112-year-old industry of, of orthodontics and completely, you know, upending that for, because you're basically – you know, putting the consumer, you know, enabling them to kind of start the process and initiate that. Obviously, there's still a doctor involved and you need that doctor in every part of the of the process. But now it's not just like I ran that lab because the doctor said so. It's, hey, I've got this concern about my, you know, I might have COVID. I'm going to run this test. I'm going to, in that all of that has been kind of pushed out back to where, where the consumer has much more control of the of the process. And, and that's also true with, uh, with Smile Direct Club, where we're, we're asking the consumer to, to identify when they want to get their teeth straightened and then, and then to work in collaboration with that doctor to make sure that happens. Yep. And obviously, right now, obviously, growth is such a huge driver of technology businesses. Now, more recently, profitability has taken center stage as well with all the macroeconomic changes that we've seen unfold. All that being said, where are you spending your time across the overall funnel in terms of the overall brand hierarchy of Smile Direct Club in terms of how you communicate your unique selling proposition down to performance marketing and making sure you talked about quant earlier, how the numbers work. What's the pie chart of your time in terms of where you're spending it and, and where your efforts are focused? It's really, I would say my time is broken into four key categories. The first is building the brand. 
right? We're still a young business. We've only been advertising for a little over five years. The great news is we've got terrific uh, aided awareness um, in the business. When I started, it was about 16%. It's now 61% aided awareness in the United States. So that's great. However, what we've turned, you know, once you cross that 50% mark, you really turn your guns to the unaided awareness. I might have misspoke before. I think, yeah, aided awareness is 16 to 61. We're turning our guns to unaided awareness. So people unprovoked will know that our business does what we say we do. And, and so spending a lot of time thinking about how to build that business. I'm a, I'm a big believer in you know, Byron Sharp's how brands are built, you know, being mentally and physically available for customers you know, on a broad basis. And so just making sure our name continues to be out there, that people continue to feel positively about our business, that because we're in the healthcare space, that we're building credibility for our business in all the ways that we need to. Um, and so that's about 25% of my time. The second is the day-to-day performance marketing stuff, right? You know, just looking at the conversion funnels and all of the all of the efforts that we're putting into to, to our media there to just make sure that our CAC stays exactly where it needs to be and that we're, we're able to have a profitable business. How has that changed with all the recent evolutions in Apple's privacy policies and your ability to retarget with cookies? I mean, it, has it made it incredibly harder? It's harder. I mean, no doubt it's it's harder. I think we were probably one of the first public companies to actually talk about the impact that iOS 14.5 had on our business. I was over a year ago when we started talking about that in our um, quarterly reports. No question that it impacted our business and it's shifted our uh, media mix strategy pretty dramatically because we are no longer able to see some of the key signals that we used to be able to see. That's definitely been a pain point. And, and by the way, the same things that they're doing on the CRM side of the business are having some impact, you know, as well from a privacy perspective. And, you know, we, we just know less about what emails are opened and and so on. On the flip side, what we were doing is we're trying to find other new first party ways of kind of identifying critical audiences and building out from there. And and we're actually obviously our paid social you know, took a big hit in terms of its efficiency about a year ago, and we've built it back. And we're now operating at the same levels of efficiency as we were a year ago. However, albeit at a much lower volume, the ability to incrementally you know, spend the next dollar and have it be you know, at the right levels of profitability, I would do it if we could. But, but we're, we're at much lower spend levels than we were you know, at that time. And, so, and you mentioned the shift. You said, had you shift your, your spending? Where has it shifted towards? Yeah, I mean, we're really, you know, trying to do more, I'll call it mid-funnel consideration work. And so things like OTT, things like YouTube, where we are targeting audiences explicitly, you know, retargeting audiences explicitly. However, you know, you know, with the ultimate goal to kind of drive them, you know, back in through things like, uh, you know, organic and paid search. Got it. Got it. So you talked about brand building, you talked about performance marketing. What was the third area? Yeah, the third key area is in really defining the customer experience. And so my team owns a digital experience app, uh, site, CRM. And so just making sure that we're continuing to optimize that customer experience to uh, you know ensure we're pulling people through all of the right ways. And so we're looking at how we go to market. We're looking at you know different elements of of the, that process in its own right and how we can leverage that new technology to make that better. And that, that kind of leads to bucket four which is really innovation, right? And so, you know, you know, broadening our audiences, uh, broadening, creating a much better go-to-market strategy than the one we have today, which is, which is actually quite long, right? We, we acquire a person, they have to buy a kit and scan, they have to return that kit and scan, they have to then, you know, make sure that that's accepted, then they, then they get a treatment plan, and then they buy, 
And that process is, is lengthy. And we joke all the time about nobody wants a cold hot dog. And so, you know, we have, we have some drop off in that process. And so I'm spending a lot of my time thinking, what are all the ways that we can shorten that window to get a person to understand what they're going to get in working with us and our doctors and making sure that they, that go to market isn't, isn't two to three weeks. It's, I would ideally, I would like to say two to three minutes, but we're not quite there yet, right? So how do I shorten that window of the go to market? And that's just one of the areas of innovation I'm spending time in. And then, and then obviously there's, a, you know, when we launched our business, we thought about the market that had never been able to access orthodontics before, right? People who couldn't afford six to eight grand for braces or Invisalign, um, you know, we're out here at that $2,000 making that accessible to people who'd never had it before. Yeah. Well, in the process of building this business, what we've come to realize is that 80 to 90% of the overall market would benefit from using our model. The convenience, the cost, the outcomes are all better than what we've, that we're seeing from other folks. And so we're, we're now trying to go to the traditional orthodontics customer, right? High household income, parents of teens and saying, hey guys, there's actually a better way. We've proven it and we're, and we're out. And so all the ways that we can make sure we're hitting on that audience, it's a priority for us. And, you know, a year ago, we launched a challenger campaign specifically to hit on that. And there's more coming in terms of product offering and beyond that that's going to really make sure that that traditional orthodontic customer actually comes to benefit from all the things that we've built for the folks that we gave access to this in the first place. Yeah. I mean, it's such a huge addressable market. And you're right. So much of the market is still to be opened or addressed. And if you can bring it to the right price point, make it convenient for consumers, there's just so much growth there. So it makes sense. Just to back up a little bit, when you t- talked about the first two areas, brand building, and then you talked about performance and you're shifting to more mid-funnel. I know you your company has done a lot with TikTok. Um, and I was reading a little bit about the Emily Watson story, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I can tell you, every obviously, every single big brand I'm talking to these days, and even smaller companies, are fascinated with TikTok. Our very first episode had Sophia Hernandez, the head of uh, business marketing of TikTok on it. Just talking about how important auth- authenticity is. And now that's something brands still in this day and age struggle with because they're they're trying to be too controlled, too contrived. You've had some early success on TikTok. Would love to hear about your efforts there, more specifically um, about Emily. Yeah, great. Thanks, TikTok. We've been we were early on TikTok over over three years ago. We were making investments there, and it's been a really strong category for us. And actually, now it's it's now. Uh, basically at the top of our leaderboard, if you will, on you know where we're spending spending some money on uh, certainly on the digital space. It's because our audience is there, right? Our primary audience is 18 to 35 year old women, and that's where they're spending their time, right? And so what we've really done in TikTok is a strategy that really has three components to it. The first is we're adapting our you know, broad-based marketing to the things that we know work in that environment. So what we're doing, we have, we have our character, Didi, that you know does our TV work that compares us to our challenge, you know, the, the company we're challenging. And she's doing bespoke work specifically, you know, on TikTok based on um, you know, some of the things that we're seeing, trends that we're, we're seeing there, et cetera. The second piece is probably the biggest piece of what we're doing is we're leaning into creators, right? And working really broadly with creators on, you know, because they know what works in that space. They're the, they're the ones who've mastered how to create eyeball-worthy you know, content. That's where authenticity lives, right? They're doing it for the love of what they're creating versus trying to be a paid chill for a brand. 
And for what, and this, you're dead on. And what, what we care about most is they have to actually be a customer. If they're talking about aligners, they have to go through treatment. If they're talking about our whitening product, they have to use it for real. And we're being very explicit about that. And because we don't want, we're not trying to borrow equity to borrow equity. We're trying to build credibility. And that credibility comes from the authenticity. Right. And then the third piece, which you've alluded, alluded to, is the great story about, about one of our team members, uh, Emily Watson, who, who really is the primary face on our TikTok channel. You know, the great story about her was four and a half years ago, she was a model in a photo shoot. That's when she got introduced to the brand. She then became a customer. We straightened her teeth. She then loved the experience so much. She wanted to work for the company. She came in and, and has worked her way to a place now where she's actually running the face of the company in that TikTok environment. And she's so great at spotting the trends and, and working with the, we have a broader content team that she she's very, you know, works extensively with to help say, how can, hey, here's this thing that's going on. How can we make our brand relevant to that? And just help, you know, tie our brands um, into that. And it's, TikTok is an environment I always talk about content creation having two styles. There's the studio work that's long lasting, high risk, and you have to really think about it for a long time. And then there's the newsroom, right? This is the stuff that's fast moving. It's low risk as long as you, you know, obviously with certain safeguards, guardrails, and you need to be able to be relevant to what's happening right now. Most brands struggle to connect themselves to what's happening right now because the, the guardrails are too tight. And so, you know, the work that we've done with that team and Emily and Nikki Harmon, who's on that team as well, leads that team, you know, the work that they've done to help us be responsive to what we're seeing, you know, in TikTok, on Twitter, what have you, you know, has, has really helped our brand become, you know, more and more relevant. And I think, you know, that, that story is so inspiring to me because I think it should give young people a lot of hope because it's so much about what you do versus what you say. You know, people can have a resume and they can go to a great college and they can interview with you and say, I'm going to do this, this, and that. That's one, you know, candidate. And candidate two is somebody who's done all these things, who's actually built a brand, who's built a following, who's shown passion. Who are you going to hire in this new world? And I think, you know, that whole notion of having people, you know, really prove their worth, I think could be so impactful. Listen, my career has been a scar-ridden career of, you know, helping startups that didn't make it and, and you know, having your know, businesses break away and then get re-sucked in. And, and, you know, I had my own company I started in 2001, not the best time to start a company, but actually it's still around up in the Boston area. And so just having scars, uh, you know, experience you can bring to the table is so incredibly valuable. And just trying stuff, even if it's, low risk if you're in, you know, something you do with your your fraternity or your sorority, but you've out there and you've, you've had your fingers in whatever, a Facebook ads manager because you were trying to drive people into your sorority website. That that means something. You, you did things. It means, it means so much more. You know, I mean, one thing I've always had success with, again, is asking people, what have you done? What have you built? What have you created? Versus telling me what you're going to do. Uh, because mm -hmm. you have every opportunity at, at early ages to prove that you can put hands on keyboard and do things. And that's mm -hmm. definitely one piece of advice I'd give to young people starting out is to go out and do things. And to your point, even if it fails, you're at least showing initiative and initiative is so key. You know, you talk about things like, you know, expanding the business and innovation. Innovation comes from ultimately somewhere, someone in your organization taking initiative, doing something that's not told to do. And next thing you know, you're identifying a whole new business opportunity. 
Yeah, that's right. And my time at MasterCard was loaded with that, right? I headed up uh, innovation management for the company worldwide. And and it just, just being able to see hundreds and sometimes even a thousand or, you know, ideas, you know, from all over the company that you can like think about rank, rate, say, we've seen that before. Hey, that's something new. That's a good idea that we're not going to get to. That's a great idea that I want to invest behind. And, and managing that innovation pipeline, you know, was a role I played. And, and just the ability to filter through ideas quickly and understand where the ones that are the great ones that are worth investing in is critical. And, and that's a challenge I think a lot of mid-growing companies face is uh, there are so many good ideas laying around. They try to do them all. And the hardest part is to basically st- stop doing the good ideas so you can execute the great ideas. And you know, I would say even in Small Record, we're still working through that, but I actually think, I think we kind of got there. And that's been a really cool part to see this business mature over the last, you know, my tenure here, which, which has been the last four years. Super helpful. And you know, the last thing I'll ask you about is customer experience. You talked a lot about that in terms of really trying to optimize the way that your customers experience the service that you're offering. You know, how do you get feedback from those consumers in terms of what's working and what isn't? And what have you found have been some of the big unlocks in optimizing customer experience? There's no better two hours that I spend every week than one hour watching videos of our customers in our smile shops, obviously with their permission, where we watch them go through that journey with the smile guide, the questions they ask, the places where uh, there was a lack of literally every week, every week, every week. I'm watching these things for an hour. I've seen thousands of our customers. Well, probably, probably about a thousand customers go through that journey. We take clips and show, Hey, here's where this thing happened. They were really uncertain here. Is there something we can do to communicate earlier? How this works, all of those elements and, and finding the ways to say it just the right way. And uh, uh, when we should be communicating in the, in their overall journey, how we can use CRM better, all of that. You know, that hour is great. And then the second hour is, is we're doing calls, sales calls, c- customer care calls, again, all with permission, just listening to, you know, what's the customer struggling with? What are they facing? And so on. I'll give you one example. We got to a place where we heard one call where the customer asked our team member to help explain all the things that came in their, in their box. You know, you get one big blurple box with all your aligners in it. And all of a sudden we're like, what if we just did an orientation call with every customer? Right. And so we experimented with that and actually went quite well, although it's hard to get a hold of people. But then we realized that we're just saying the same thing over and over again. Why don't we just make a customized video for that customer's experience? And now every customer gets that customized video along with their box so they can understand what's in the box. Why is it tailored to them? How does it work for them? And by the way, what we find is those people call less frequently, complete treatment successfully more all of those things downstream. So, so it's the little nuggets that you pick up with being a customer obsessed person, you know, help you create better experiences, better outcomes, more referrals across the whole funnel, right? It's a game of inches. Yeah, it is. Uh, we talk about this all the time is, is, you know, we have, and that's the big challenge is in one hand in customer experience, you're playing a game of inches game. You have to make sure you, you create the space for the innovation, right? Cause you can tweak and tweak and tweak and polish. And those, and we've done an inordinate amount of that. But we also had to step back and say, okay, we've polished that thing amazingly. How can we break it and make it way better? And so it, it's that combination of those two things that help you know, really become uh, excellent at customer experience. Yeah, I mean, we live in a world where everybody wants that instant gratification and th- those huge big ideas. But I think the best businesses are ones where little ideas like the orientation idea you just talked about, which 
turns out to be actually a huge idea, right? But if you look at across the entire, you know, funnel of when somebody first hears about you to when they're finished using your product, if you can incrementalize every touch point throughout that and do a little bit every single day, next thing you know, all your conversion numbers are better, your MPS is higher, your business is growing faster. Exactly right. And that's really the game is is connecting that. So this is super helpful. And, you know, I think my observation of you is that you're somebody who really understands the benefit of both art and science in marketing. I think, you know, right now the Cannes Festival of Creativity is going on, right, which celebrates big creative ideas. But one thing I've, you know, found over the years is a lot of these big ideas aren't really connected to real business metrics. So I think there's such importance of amazing creative without real metrics connected to them. It's, it almost doesn't matter. So I think understanding the mix of art and science is incredibly impactful. It seems like that you've done a good job of balancing the two. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I always think about this, the work that gets done at Can. The great stuff is you know the top of the line, great stuff. But there's a lot of pieces that get celebrated in that environment that are breakthrough creative concepts that aren't connected to the actual brands in, in meaningful ways, right? Where I, I say this to my wife sitting next to me all the time. She's like, oh, that was so that was so funny. And then three minutes later, I'd be like, that spot that you said was funny. What brand was that? Uh, all the time. Right? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, I don't know. And I'm like, there you go. So, you know, it was breakthrough. It connected with you, but they didn't connect it to the brand. And like that happens so often. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that often happens when you give agencies the keys and you don't really keep them connected to those business results. So their, you know, their interests necessarily aren't aligned with the bottom line of the business. And I think in this world, that's obviously going to change because companies are going to be more and more focused on driving the bottom line. In that regard, in this world with rampant inflation, more pressure on the consumer, how is Smile Direct sort of reacting to that in the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, I think we're... we're Again, we're. I think we feel, our figure is on the pulse sufficiently that we were reading these tea, two mixed metaphors, but we were reading these tea leaves about the focus on on cash flow, free cash flow generation, uh, you know, early on, and so we started making moves on this in Q4 of last year, and so we are refocusing our business on ensuring that we can get the business as quickly as possible, safely as possible, with growth to that to an area with uh, where we're we're just floating on free cash flow as opposed to anything else. The last several years, with interest rates as low as they've been, money has been like getting more capital has been cheap and easy. And now, I think the capital markets are drying up. I think you're seeing it getting money costs money, and so um, you know this focus is now shifted toward ensuring that you don't need to go do that. And so, having a business that that is now free cash flow focused, as opposed to EBITDA focused, or as opposed to top line growth focused, is really where where it's at, uh, particularly for you know, the, the class of businesses that Smile Direct Club is all in, you know, these, these I'll call it uh, six to 12 year old companies that are all, they all had tremendous growth. They all, you know, generated great brand awareness. They've built honestly phenomenal businesses, but now they've got to turn those phenomenal businesses into something that generates the free cash flow they need. And we're back to the fundamentals, right? That's really what it's about. And, and, we're, we're, and we're all over that as a business. That's great. That's great to hear. Well, this is super informative for me and I'm sure it will for our audience. And, you know, we covered so much in a short period of time and that's really what we want to do with the podcast. The speed of culture is cover a lot of sort of deep rooted insights in a short period. So that was super helpful, but just a personal question for you in this fast paced world, you obviously, I can tell your brain moves a million miles a minute. What are some of the things that's, that slowed John Sheldon down in this world? Oh, goodness. 
I think being in, intentional with my kids slows me down. How many kids do you have? So I have two daughters. Uh, uh, one just graduated high school, and the other one is uh, going into her senior year at, at at my alma mater at Penn. Oh, great! So they're older, and and it's funny. I always joke that golf and parenting are the two cha- most challenging things you can do for the opposite reasons. In golf, you have to forget everything that happened before, and everything that happens after this shot. Right. With parenting, it's the opposite. You have to take everything that happened before into account and all the potential implications, you know, downstream from what you have to do in this in this moment. And so I spent I'm I'm much more focused on being very intentional in dealing with my kids. And so that that slows my mind down a little bit while I explore like, okay, take a breath. You know, how do we get here? What could happen if you do this wrong? And so, you know, or right. Obviously, want to be positive there. You know, that's one thing. But uh, and the other thing is, I'm a completely rabid sports fan uh, for both the Patriots, and then I'm a Man United fan for Premier League, and I watch almost all of their games on both both teams. And it's so weird how you can let some group of random men, uh, you know, completely make or break your mood. People come in, they're like, "How was your weekend?" I'm like, "Both the Patriots and Man U lost. I had a terrible weekend." They're like, why did I let that happen to me? I don't know, but it's part of my personality. I just like the ride. Me too. I'm an Eagles fan, so sorry about that 2018 win, but we deserved one. Okay. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take the other whatever it is now. Exactly, Seven. take the other six ranks. Well, thank you so much for joining. This has been amazing, and a lot of insights I think that our audience can take away. So on behalf of Susie and the Adweek team, thanks to John for joining us. Um, happy Father's Day, by the way, John. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Speed of Culture podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And thanks again. So on behalf of myself, we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. The Speed of Culture is brought to you by Suzy as part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Guest Creator Network. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. To find out more about Susie, head to Suzy.com. And make sure to search for The Speed of Culture in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Suzy, thanks for listening. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 